everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Tovel. And this week on the show, we've got some awesome stuff. Kevin installed an Ecobee 3 and discovered something <laughs> difficult. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> ouch. We were talking about Pokemon Go, just because everyone's talking about Pokemon Go. We've got a new outdoor camera from Nest, its first product in forever. We've got smart car news and some other big news in the IoT space. But first, let's break in for a quick word from our sponsor, Sively. Working on building a connected product? Don't do it yourself. It's complex and could be years before you're up and running. Years you can't afford to wait. So accelerate your time to market, de-risk your investment, and leverage Zively's expertise. Their IoT experts and business-ready, award-winning Zively platform will help you launch quickly, securely, and at scale. Learn more at Zively.com. That's X-I-V-E-L-Y.com. All right, Kevin, let's kick it off with, I don't know, let's talk about your ouch experience. Yeah, well, so I think I said on the last show that I was moving and we did move in between then and now, still unpacking, but uh, one of the first things I did once I had uh, found my new Ecobee 3 that I ordered, I tried to install it. Well, as anybody who has an Ecobee knows, and for those who don't, it really needs five wires coming out of your wall for the thermostat. Um, the fifth one being a common wire. And that is for, if I'm not mistaken, it's just for the power, the power to keep the power on on the Ecobee thermostat itself, because the Ecobee has a touchscreen and display and so on and so forth. So I only had four wires. So, oh. Yeah, well, the townhouse that I moved into was built in 2000, so I'm not terribly surprised. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it still had the original thermostat, which was fine, just a regular programmable thermostat. But uh, that shouldn't be a problem because included in the, in the Ecobee 3 box is a, I forget what they call it, a PEK. I forget what it stands for, but basically... Power extender kit. That's it, the power extender kit, which obviously extends power. So... If you use that or need that, which I did, you actually have to crack open your HVAC system and find the circuit board of it, which I found no problem. And there I found five wires and five terminals. So I'm like, okay, cool. The PEK, as I understand it, what it essentially does is you connect the five wires of the PEK to the circuit board of the HVAC system. And the wires you pull from the HVAC system, you you connect to the inside of the PEK, and it basically bridges five wires into four. I think it ties the power to either the yellow or green wire. Don't quote me on that. But essentially, it kind of creates a virtual common wire. That's Got it. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. Well, no matter what I did, once I hooked it all up and you know put the HVAC system back together and all that, the Ecobee then showed power, like the screen was on, which was awesome because it wasn't on the first time. I'm like, let's try it without a common just to see what happens. It was, I knew it wasn't going to work, but basically the thermostat worked, but you couldn't control it because you couldn't see it. So once I used the PEK, I had power to the Ecobee, everything was good, except when the air conditioning would turn on, it would actually only blow the fan. So the compressor outside was not on, there was no cold air coming in. You have to realize, when we moved last week, it was about 95 degrees and 90% humidity. So we couldn't live without air. So I'm like, oh, I don't have time to deal with this right now. I 
unconnected everything and reconnected it back to the original thermostat and reconnected everything correctly in the in the HVAC system and just had air. I'm like, I'll deal with this later. Well, I found an excellent article on Steve Jenkins' blog, and hopefully we can put it in the show notes. We will. Super. It explains exactly what you need to do. What my issue was in particular, and every HVAC system is different, of course, but I had multiple wires in the HVAC system control board connected to the same terminal. And oh. obviously, yeah, the Ecobee instructions are clear, but they're not going to deal with every single you know, scenario. So I didn't realize I needed to keep certain wires connected and remove other wires and all that. And the last time I did this, I thought I had hit the switch on the HVAC system to flip the breaker so no power was going on, and I didn't. And unfortunately, when I was connecting some wires in there, it's a pretty tight space. Two wires that aren't supposed to touch actually did. I had a spark. All of a sudden, the little LED on my HVAC control board went dead. I'm like, oh, no, I've got to replace the whole control board. <laughs> and it's really hot outside. So I was, honestly, I was in a panic. Um, and I, I sat there after, I got a little bit of shock as well. I sat there just rubbing my fingers, getting the feeling back. And then I realized, huh, there's a fuse on my control board in the HVAC system. I pulled it out. And sure enough, the 3 amp fuse was blown which is oh, good. Well, that's, yeah, that's better than that's losing the whole board. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Of course, we still had boxes everywhere. I didn't have spare fuses. So I went out to my car, went into the fuse box in my car. The lowest amperage I could find of a spare fuse was five amps. I'm like, let me just put this in and see if it brings the control board back to life. I did that. My LED popped up. I'm like, yes, I connected everything properly per Steve Jenkins article. Went upstairs, tested the air, we had air conditioning. So it all worked out in the end. It can be tricky. And they even say in the Ecobee instructions, if you need to install the PEK, they warn you, you're going to have to mess with your control board of your HVAC system. You may, if you're not comfortable with that, you may want to get an electrician, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, you know, I throw caution on the wind on everything. So I didn't uh, do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I even so, had the power on. <laughs> so Kevin's like, I'm going to wire hot. Yeah, and- I didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm going to install an HVAC system in the summer, which is also the only time I install my new HVAC or my new uh, thermostats. And I, when we installed the Ecobee, mm-hmm. and we did the Ecobee Smart SI because I installed mine years ago. I know I need to upgrade you guys. I'm sorry. But we actually had a similar problem. We actually had a common wire, but because we had a two-stage heat pump, mm-hmm. we messed up our wiring a little bit. But the Ecobee people were super nice. They have an awesome support forum too mm-hmm. if i don't know if steve jenkins had written his article because that did not come up in my google searches when i was dealing with this but let kevin's experience be a lesson for you not a lesson that it's too hard and you shouldn't do it because you totally should i had never wired a thermostat and things are really it's not hard it's not um, it's not i mean pretty much every hvac system has at least four wires maybe five and the ecobee system the kit it should be able to manage it no matter what, give or take, no matter what your situation is. Don't go, one word of advice, don't go by the color of the wires because not every installer puts a red wire on the red terminal, green wire on the green terminal, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you're looking at what the terminals are marked as opposed to just looking at wire colors. But it really is easy. It's, it's honestly, if I knew what I was doing the very first time, if I had Steve's instructions that would work for my scenario, it probably was a 10 minute install, literally, maybe 15. It's just, it's not that difficult. 
Right. But when you're like, ah, I have no AC, it's 95 degrees, yeah, everything I, becomes much more fraught. Yeah, the clock was running and I I didn't want uh, everybody in my house to be like super hot, especially because we have, you know, boxes to unpack still and we have pets and it's just not good for anybody in, in this heat. So needless to say, it's all working. Yes, I blew the fuse, had a little spark, fixed it. The Ecobee is working fantastic. I have the included remote sensor, which does presence and temperature. That's in right here next to me in my office because that's where I am most of the day up on the second floor. So the Ecobee will not go to away mode when I'm not downstairs like my Nest did because of the sensor. Nice. And you can actually buy extra sensors. Um, the one pro tip for you, which is actually amateur trip, am- amateur tip is one, don't wire hot. Make sure you turn off your breaker. <laughs> And two, now you tell me. I know, Kevin. I, I thought you knew, but my bad. Oh, I knew. But the other tip is take a photograph of your wiring before you start removing wires. I do this before any install. You know, I take off that plate, I'm faced with wires and stuck under terminals, and I'm like, oh, look at this. It's so awesome. And your gut instinct is like to start unwiring. No. Take you, a big close-up photo. You are dead on correct on that. And I actually did do that both at the thermostat and the HVAC control board before I mess with anything. And I'm glad I did since I had to redo my wiring at the thermostat when I you know, hosted up the install the first time. And I would have forgotten that, I, that a uh, red jumper cable was actually between two terminals at my old thermostat. So, yeah, oh. I still have the photos. I probably will never get rid of them, quite honestly, because you just never know. You can have a little Dropbox file, wiring photos. Yep. People will be like, ooh. All right. So that's Kevin's experience. Don't let it scare you. It's not scary. <laughs> it's Please not. install and uninstall thermostats to your heart's content. It's super fun and worthwhile to feel like I am the master of my home. But do turn off your breaker, though. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the hottest thing since, my God. Uh, a Nintendo Wii, maybe. I mean, remember how people were like so hyped on that? Mm-hmm. Now we're hyped up on Pokemon Go. It's interesting. It's and it's uh, you know Nintendo has pretty much ignored the mobile market that's transformed everything in the past couple of years. Until recently, they put out the Mitomi game. I think that's what it's called. Oh, uh, the little avatars, basically. Yeah, it's a little social networky kind of thing, and, and it was okay. I, I installed it. I did not install Pokemon Go, which is an augmented reality game from the same folks that created Ingress, which I did use to play. Both of these were actually created in conjunction with Niantic Labs, which was a Google company, then was spun off as an independent company when Google transformed into Alphabet. So it's not an Alphabet company. It's now a standalone company. And... Basically, you, you just like Ingress, for people who are familiar with it, you run around you know, out in the real world and there might be a Pokemon nearby and you look at your camera or your screen on your phone, which has access to the camera. So the screen is showing your world around you that you can see and then occasionally it will show a Pokemon that you have to capture and so on and so forth. So I didn't install it. I did ask my stepdaughter to yesterday and she's like, I don't want to do it. And then sure enough, once she did, she's been playing it all the time. Awesome. And I haven't installed it because the one when I was ready to install it, the servers were down or having trouble. So I was like, oh, I'll come back and get it. And then I was like, ah, I haven't. Um, plus, I'm on vacation in Nowheresville, Maine. So actually, it might be interesting to see if there are little. Oh, you could, rack, you could rack up the points because there's probably far fewer people out there in general. And that doesn't mean there's fewer Pokemon to capture. That's true. So what's interesting, there's a couple things that are interesting here. One is 
a lot of the social implications. And the other is this is a really this might be the first mass market use of AR, which is augmented reality, which is different from VR. Mm-hmm. AR superimposes digital stuff on the real world, as opposed to VR, which is like immersing all of you into an imaginary virtual world. And I've always been kind of like Sphero had an AR game. I don't know if you remember the little, mm-hmm. I mean, they make BB-8, but they they had this like game where you could like roll the ball and, and like capture things and it was it was kind of fun, but you know you're like eh, and I think layering it over the real world is really what's making this so compelling to people. Mm-hmm. But it's also posing a bit of a challenge because we've had people setting up Pokemon lures to grab to lure people there, where they then rob them. There are concerns from people who are saying that their homes or places like the Holocaust mu- Museum, mm-hmm. people are trying to catch Pokemon there. And so I think it's a really fun social experiment. It is. And, and the, the Holocaust Museum aspect has me questioning, why isn't there, or should there be rather, a way to say my personal property or this museum or whatever this landmark is, how do we make this out of bounds for these AR type games? Because we don't want people visiting the Holocaust Museum and not paying attention to what's really important there. And instead, they're capturing imaginary Pokemon. There doesn't seem to be a way to do that yet. And I think there should be. Well, and, and I think Niantic is probably recognizing that now mm-hmm. with such a mass market hit. They're like, holy cow. So I don't know if it'll be like their database. You know, you can submit things kind of like you did with Google Maps saying, hey, blur this or take this out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way to solve it. Another way would be like crowdsourcing information, like, and that would be kind of more interesting. It's infinitely more scalable, probably, but like in the case of like armed robbery or things like that, you know, you'd want to quickly be able to like say, uh, no, this is this is not where you want to go. Right. And that that would be kind of like a ways experience. So it'll be. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Hopefully, they're coming up with something. I know people are very impatient to hear this, mm-hmm. so. We'll see, but I think it's great. I think it's yeah. probably the best the best use of AR that I've seen for entertainment purposes. People use it for, you know, fixing machines. I've always thought it could be interesting for assembling like IKEA furniture. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's worth noting for people who have not yet installed it, they might have read some stories that the app actually, if you signed in with your Google account, because you can either sign in with Google or with a Pokemon account, if you sign in with Google literally the app had full access to your Google account, like massive scope. That's a bad thing, um, obviously. And since that report came out, which was confirmed, uh, Niantic has said it was a mistake and they have actually created an update for the app that you can basically revoke all the permissions and then reapply permissions. And it only has maybe your email address and your, your, you know, your account name and your name and so on. They've reduced the scope from like everything to, a lot less what it should only have not no app should have access to your full google account save for maybe a google app so i was gonna say save for google <laughs> save for that yes all right we should oh because we mentioned the word we mentioned the g word we should mention kevin, kevin. works for google okay done <laughs> done not on any of this stuff no. okay oh which is good because we're moving into nest oh. we're not going to talk a lot about this because our guest today is Mehul Nariwala, who is a product manager of Nest Outdoor Camera. But Wait, they don't have an outdoor camera. I know, but now they do. Yay! New products from Nest. 
So this is actually, Nest is launching an outdoor camera. And what's notable here is there's there's a couple things. One, Nest is launching its first new product since it was acquired by Alphabet. If we, we don't count its revised version of Dropcam, which was kind of just like... A rebrand? Yeah, it was a rebrand. It was a yeah. slight design shift, but yeah. nothing like... Ah! We could debate whether an outdoor camera is really a design shift, but it is. Yeah. Because... In this camera, what they did, this is a very Nest thing to do, they tweaked something that most people probably wouldn't think about, which is the adapter. So this is actually a wired camera for outdoors, and everyone's like, oh, those are hard to install, we hate those. Mm -hmm. But they made the adapter so weatherproof, it could sit under a bank of snow or in a puddle of water and still work, which means you can plug it into any outdoor outlet on your home Mm -hmm. if you have them. And so it makes it a much easier install. So I actually thought that was pretty cool. Did they say what this is going to retail for? This is going to retail for $199. You can pre-order it as of today, today being Thursday. (laughs) And it won't ship, though, until September. Hmm. And we'll talk talk about some of the other stuff in the interview. But we did want to, like, let you guys know that that's out there. And it's going to compete with... There's the outdoor cameras from Arlo, which, you know, I'm working with now. Um, also, in the fall, we're going to get an outdoor camera from Netatmo called the Presence Camera. And then there's the stick-up cam from Ring, which is wireless but has its own solar panel. Hmm. And they're all in the same price range. They're all uh, – the Arlos are a bit more expensive. They have a base station and some other stuff. But the stick-up cam and the Presence are in the – 199 range. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I see that uh, if you have a Nest Aware subscription, you can get person alerts as well. Yes. And, and we talk about that. It's basically the camera will recognize if it's a dog or a car, and that's useful for better mm-hmm. motion detection. Cool. Very cool. Yay, so, new products. New products. Stay tuned. You can learn a lot more from the product designer of this camera after later messages. So. I was, I was going to sing a little after these messages. We'll be right back. But I'm not supposed to sing. No. So let's talk about smart cars. Mm, and not Tesla. Not Tesla. No. Alibaba. Alibaba, which is the, we'll call it China's Amazon, only bigger. and mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, that's fair. I, I did not know. I mean, we knew they were an e-commerce company before. But I did not know that uh, they were working on their own operating system for IoT. Yeah, it's well, they had the Arduino Yun board, mm-hmm. uh, and they have the Yun OS, which is their IoT OS. Mm-hmm. And they're putting that in this car that's going to retail for, I think it's about 23000 mm-hmm. I think it's now they're not selling it in the US. So right. don't get your hopes up, folks. But what's happening here is they're putting this OS in there with the idea of creating a, a smart car that can make payments, that can like work with internet services, like radio services. I, I don't know all the all the type of things. And this fits because... This makes sense because they are an e-commerce, as we said, like the Amazon of China. And it seems to me that most of the, at least initial features in the Yun OS inside this car are all commerce related. So you can reserve and pay for parking spaces. You can pay for gas. You can pay for coffee. So the keyword is pay, 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 or I guess, you know, buy, buy, buy. So it makes sense. It's almost like if Amazon were to put... It's, uh, I won't say her name, but 
the voice services to the A voice services. <laughs> yes, the A voice services in cars natively, so that you could do the same thing. Just you know, I'm heading out to the movies. Let me buy some tickets. Let me um, pay for my parking. Let me order food. Or whatever it may be, anything commerce related. It just it just kind of fits. I don't know that I want that in my car. And I granted, I can't get this car, but could this be a trend? And if so, I don't, I don't know that I want it. I mean, all it, it just moves everything from the phone to the car and just well, adds complexity gonna, to the car. It's going to move everything to the phone and the car and your home hub. Everywhere. And yeah. The idea is that it will be so deeply integrated and hopefully like they're talking about this as a platform that works with Chinese smart cities. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you pulled up to a parking meter and it communicated with your car, like, hey, two hours of parking is going to cost you 10 bucks, pay. And the account's already there. So you don't have to download like an app for every city that you're in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's my take. If done well, if done poorly, then yes, you're going to be like, yeah. everybody's shouting at me to buy stuff everywhere. Yeah, no, it, it, it can definitely reduce barriers to make it easier to buy things and and get services, you know, maybe that maybe you're going to a parking garage in your example. And as you check in, you know, normally we get a ticket and we would go search for space. It could actually say there's a space on level two, pick spot 47 and it's $10. Do you want it? You know? So yes, it makes things easier, but I worry because all these different operating systems and platforms moving to other devices. Now you, I don't want to use the F word, but I'm going to use it. Fragmentation, you know? So I pull in with my car that maybe it runs a voice services. I'm again, not using her name, not UNOS. The Amazon Echoes voice services. Yeah. Okay. That'll work. So, you know, then, I mean, I'm sure I could pay through normal means, but so it's not a major mishap, but I just worry that, you know, it's in, it adds complexity at the endpoints, you know, it does. That's my fear. When things don't work, it's going to be worse than ever. When you can't park in the garage or you can't, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are, I know people now that won't shop at places that do not take Apple Pay or Android Pay or Samsung Pay, for example, any one of the three. They'll go someplace else because to them it's more convenient. And I don't, I, maybe I didn't carry my wallet that day, you know. So what are we going to do? We're going to drive our car to a parking lot and see, oh, they take, they work with UNOS. I can't park here. You know, I, I don't want that. I don't think that, I can't imagine people leaving revenue on the table like that, but I could be wrong. People did do that with Apple. They did. Um, they did. So, and, they're, and they're coming back around now too and adding support for the different payment services when they tried to focus on using only one, for example. Right. It's going to be harder before it gets better, sadly. All right. Well, here's some quick news we're going to run down. First off, Canary. The all-in-one security device has signed a partnership this week with Liberty Mutual. Hmm. And this ties in with last week's podcast. We had Ryan Rice, who was at American Family Insurance, um, talking about how people might buy the smart home. So Canary with Liberty Mutual, what's going to happen is you get a discount if you have a Canary. And Canary also has a partnership with State Farm. You don't share all your information. You only share some of it. But the idea of like being able to monitor things while you're away is really compelling. Stopping burglaries, also compelling. So everyone wins, and that should be good. Now, I will say Canary was a partner with Apple's HomeKit. So if you are excited about getting a Canary, you may want to wait. Mm. It's that fragmentation issue. Mm-hmm. 
because they're going to launch a second generation product that's going to be HomeKit compatible. And I know that a lot of people don't want to give up their personal information to get discounts on insurance. I kind of, I understand that, but I actually, I'm doing it. I'm doing it through Progressive with my auto insurance. My wife and I both have the little um, ODBC module that plugs in and Progressive gets all of the data from our cars and we get a discount in return for providing that data. So, you know, money's money. I'll give it up. Awesome. Next item on the news is, let's see, what is the next item on the news? Oh, GE, Predix. IoT or industrial IoT stuff, they signed a deal to partner with Azure. So customers who are using Predix's software can now host it on GE's Predix cloud, or they can host it with Azure. AT&T did a similar deal where they put more of their IoT kind of M2M and Flow products, which are for developers trying to build applications. They actually also signed a deal with Microsoft Azure. And this is this is actually great for for lots of people, actually. So it's great for Microsoft because in my conversations with people at big industrial conglomerates, their customers do not, I don't want to say they don't trust GE, but they're like, GE, are you really a cloud provider? Let's, our IT department feels better going with Microsoft. So this is going to help GE get those customers who are like, mm, I don't know about your cloud. It may be awesome, but my IT department is not keen on that. You know, Because what's happening is as the OT, the operational tech and the industrial tech people, they're like, we love GE, but the IT department has to get involved now with I, like the industrial internet of things. Yeah. And they're like, I love Microsoft. So this deal makes a lot of sense. And it's great for pretty much everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And GE will still have its own cloud for people who want to just stick their stuff there. But I imagine a lot of people are going to go to Microsoft. And let me just tell you, Microsoft is either a marketing genius <laughs> or they are really winning a lot of IoT deals. Mm-hmm. They've been killing it on the Azure side, uh, quite honestly. They're Obviously, they're battling Google, Amazon, Amazon Web Services, several other traditional cloud players. So this is, I think they're doing really well. They're doing what they need to do, which is stay relevant in this cloud-based world. Yeah. So the other piece of news is really an app recommendation. I did do this. I'm on This Week in Google, um, and I recommended it there. So you can just like skip ahead if you don't want to hear it again. But I had to tell everybody on the podcast because it's awesome. It's called Lexa, L-E-X-A. It's by the Unified, oh, what's it by? Hold Unified on. Computer Intelligence Corporation. Yes, UCIC. So <laughs> if you Google Lexa and UCIC, you're going to find it. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. It's for iOS and Android. And all it does is you press a button, you link it to your Amazon account, and it lets you talk to your Echo. You just press a button and you're like, turn off living room lights. You don't even have to say her name. And then I'm in Maine. I've done it. Um, and my lights turned off, which I could see from my NetAtmo camera. Uh, it basically replicates the feature of the hardware remote that you can get with the echo it doesn't play music so you can't set timers and you can't yeah, play music but that's okay but but it's a software implementation of the hardware remote which is really clever and this is oh it, it must have been eight months ago if not longer where i said i wish this type of functionality was built into the app that comes with the echo you know why can't why do i need a bluetooth remote to speak to the thing when i'm not in the same room with it why can't i just use the app because my phone has a microphone hmm Exactly. Now, I do wish they would do a widget 
on the home screen. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. But are you 100% sure this is iOS as well? Because I'm looking and I see it for Android. Oh, I lied to you. You're right. It is only Android. Sorry. So sorry, people with the iOS. Oh, a collective sigh just went out from the iOS users. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So that, I think, is pretty much everything that's all the news that's fit to print, I guess, or yeah. fit to talk about this week. Both Kevin, Kevin was moving and I am on vacation. So it's possible we missed some stuff and, you know, we'll, we'll come circle back to it. And I'm still recovering from frying myself anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't wire hot kitties. No, no. So I want to hear more about the Nest Outdoor Cam. And I think I know who's going to tell us about it. Yes. Stay tuned for Mehul Nariwala who is a product manager at Nest. Hey, we're going to break into the podcast for a message from Wolf SSL. Here I've got Larry Stefanik, who is the CEO. Larry, who is Wolf SSL? Stacy, we're the experts on device security. We've been working in the space for the last decade. We're now the most widely deployed security solution for the IoT with over a billion devices secured at this point. That is a lot of devices. What goes into securing an IoT device? So we think about three key things. First of all, the um, the data in transit or the data between your device and your cloud. So the, the traditional or most popular way to secure that data is through the SSL protocol, which is the protocol that is used on the rest of the internet for securing data in transit. Uh, We also think a lot about securing data on the device itself, so encrypting data that you might have on your device that you think needs to be private. And then finally, we help companies secure their, their firmware updates. One of the clever things that attackers like to do to devices is install their firmware instead of yours. So what you need to do is have a secure channel to your device. The best way to do that, the most common way to do that is through SSL. And we do all of the above. That's what we do. Okay. And who do you do this for? We're in the smart grid. We're in automotive, industrial automation, consumer devices, and medical devices. And we address this wide range of markets through a long list of partnerships that we have with the silicon vendors and the the operating system vendors. All right. Well, Larry, where can we find Wolf SSL? So just check us out at wolfssl.com slash IoT. everyone. Welcome back to the IoT Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today's guest is Mehul Mariawala, who is a product manager for the Nestcam portfolio. And he's here to talk about Nest's big news today, which is the release of a whole new outdoor security camera. Hey, Mehul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Really appreciate it. I am super excited because I love outdoor security cameras. I'm currently testing the Arlo's I have an order in for the NetAtmo welcome cameras. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, come September, I should check out the Nest Outdoor Cam. Tell us a little bit about what you guys were thinking when you decided to go design this camera. Sure. So Stacey, you know, we really took a step back last fall uh, as we were introducing Nest Cam Indoor and we decided upon a philosophy that we wanted to build a camera on. And we had realized after year, years of Dropcam and early Nestcam uh, users had told us that primary reason they want to use cameras is secure their homes. 
if they want to secure their homes, the benefit they want to get out is protect their home. And if they want to protect uh, their home, we looked around various security cameras that are that were available into the market, and we realized that most of these cameras either rely on a motion light sensor or they rely on a battery power. And unfortunately, this resulted in a cameras that were either off all the time or were essentially dependent on unreliable sensors to be, begin with. So we asked ourselves a question, and the question was, hey, as a user, if you wanted to buy a camera, would we trust a camera that actually stays off all the time? You know, how can security camera be a camera that stays off all the time? How can we call it a security camera? And answer was very clear to us that we had to build a wire camera that stands guard 24-7 for our users. We also wanted to build a camera that actually provides 130-degree field of view in, during night and day is absolutely aesthetically beautiful so that my wife would actually allow me to put one in front of my house versus the industrial design that typically these cameras have. And lastly, we wanted a camera that actually takes the advantage of the machine learning and AI that is available to computer vision so we can tell you when there is a person in front of the camera versus just a thing or, or motion. Okay, so let's dig into this a little bit. Um, the camera is wired, so I have to have it plugged in. Uh, you had told me that it's IP65 rated, which means it's good for rain, dust, and other outdoor uses. Its adapter mm -hmm. is actually a higher rating, so I guess you told me it could be buried in snow, which is super fun. I would love that here in Austin, Texas, but that's okay. Mine is more like, <laughs> will it melt? But the answer there is that we all the cameras that were wired available for outdoor, we realized that as a user, I would have to drill a hole in my home wall to actually take the wire and adapter inside, which essentially defeats the purpose of DIY because why a few users, according to our research, were comfortable with drilling the hole. So what we did is we designed the first ever wireless adapter, which is IP67 rated, as you mentioned. It could be buried inside a, inside a snow or be in a part of a puddle of water. And, and we don't obviously recommend to put it inside a puddle of water, but uh, the idea is that during the various seasons, it could withstand the various weather, weather, and you could easily plug into your outdoor outlet, which makes the installation very, very easy. Got it. Yes, because that is the reason most people are like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice and go with a wired or wireless camera. I just don't want to mess with drilling stuff into my house, which is intimidating. The other thing before we get to the software is you guys have a microphone on this camera, which I thought was kind of interesting because it means I could talk to people and they could talk back to me. Why did you yeah. guys kind of go do that? Well, there are two reasons. One is, uh, is when we actually went out and did our research, we realized that burglars, number one deterrent for burglars is the outdoor camera. If they see a camera and uh, while they're casing quote unquote the houses that they want to burglarize, if they see a camera, they just want to walk away. And if we can tell you if the camera, there is a person in front of the camera and you can use the two-way talk to get their attention and say, hey, why are you here? Or, hey, what's up? Can I help you? At that point in time, it becomes a quite a bit of deterrent. It gets their attention. And the purpose of the camera is to be able to tell it, uh, show itself and uh, tell any suspicious person that it's there. That was the primary reason. The secondary reason is that a lot of people do put this camera in front of their front yard or door. And that's where if there is a delivery driver or if there is a neighbor that you weren't expecting to be there, or even your dog walker, then you can communicate with them and say, hey, can you put a package a little bit hidden from the front door so it doesn't get stolen by the time we come back from our vacation a couple of days? 
So this seems like it might encroach a little bit on the video doorbell market. If I obviously you're going to tell me I should buy an outdoor Nest Cam instead of a video doorbell, but could these devices work together or do you really see them as competing products? We really think that outdoor doorbell market and indoor doorbell camera is a complementary product. And the reason is because door video doorbells are more designed for them. Wherever you have an ability to get the power, you can install it into a much wider view. Just the doorbell is has a much uh, smaller purpose of just in front of your uh, in front of your door. Let's talk about software. You guys are introducing new software for this camera, or is it a new Nest app for all Nest devices? It's a new Nest app for all Nest Cam devices, um, specifically for all Nest Cam cameras, so all DropCam users, all Nest Cam, uh, Nest Cam users and Nest Cam outdoor users will be able to use this app. And then there are three critical features that we're bringing back, um, we're introducing. One of them is a feature called private sharing, which DropCam users had enjoyed through DropCam app. We're bringing that to Nest Cam as well. Uh, that feature allows you to share a video feed of your camera to your neighbor or to your nanny or to grandparents, and they, all they get is access to the video feed. The second, the other two features are called spaces, and then, as I mentioned early on a little bit, uh, person detection. So spaces is a feature that allows users a beautiful full view or rectangular view of the various spaces within that house, within their house. So whether it's living room or dining room, wherever they have placed camera, and not only it gives that a beautiful view, but it takes all the connected devices in their home, whether it's a thermostat or protect or any other devices, and puts it in within that single space. So as a user, now I no longer have to think about whether this thermostat is for downstairs living room or upstairs bedroom. Now the space itself is the easiest way to access it. So that's the second feature. And then the third feature that we are introducing, which is available to all Nestaware subscribers, whether they're on DropCam, uh, or um, uh, Nest Cam Indoor or Nest Cam Outdoor. This feature is called person detection. And we really worked hard to understand, uh, to bring about the machine learning and AI capabilities into these cameras. And what we are trying to do is really replicate the human behavior. So as humans, we have our eyes and we rely on it quite a bit, but we know that it's not they're not perfect because we misread things and we sometimes communicate in a way that, hey, you know, I think I saw that, but I'm not 100% sure. In a similar way, when there's a person in front of the camera, there are times when we are 100% sure, our algorithms are 100% sure that there is a person. And in that case, we tell you that, hey, your camera spotted a person. But there are times, if it's an outdoor camera, there are times where a person might be hidden behind your mailbox or hidden behind this fence and only face is visible, or they're just walking towards it, but there is a vehicle in between, so only torso and upper body is visible. And in that case, we're not 100% sure that there is a person. So then we actually uh, give you an ability to still get the alert by saying that, hey, your camera thinks it spotted a person. And the reason behind it is that we realize that ultimate judgment or ultimate decider is you. You're the owner of your home. You're the protector of your home. And we want to use the machine learning and AI to augment your intelligence, not just give you the answer, which is black and white and you know, sometimes may not be as reliable. Would you also be able to do facial recognition on top of this? Because I know that I have the same UPS man every day, for example. And it'd be great just to be like a notification from my outdoor Nest Cam. Hey, UPS guy's here. And I could be like, oh, let me check in and tell him where to drop things. That's a great question that you've asked, Stacey. And as I mentioned early on, 
with, this is a journey we've started about a year ago, and this is the first step towards that journey. And this is some definitely something we've been thinking about and trying to figure out what is the best way to provide the benefit to users along those lines. Okay. And then a question about spaces. One is the visual component. Is it actually the rooms of an image of the rooms that the camera's in that I'm seeing? Or is it like an iconography that groups things by rooms? So if you already have a Nest and we have significant number of users with multiple Nest inside their home, then you would get the actual live view of the spaces that those cameras belong to, whether it's a living room or a backyard or front yard or upstairs loft. For those customers that does not have the actual Nest Cams, in that case, we obviously have to use iconography or some other way to create spaces and allow users to use it. Can you control other Nest devices from that view, or do you just see like, oh, there's a thermostat here and it's set at X temperature? You can easily tap on the same icons that you had for the thermostat, the same Pucks concept within that space you can tap on it and easily control. So the way we think about it is that as you bring number of devices, number of connected devices into your home, not only as a user, you would want one app that controls everything, but you'd want one easy way to navigate it. So this, in our mind, is a really easy way for users to navigate the various connected devices that they've put inside their home and access it easily. Okay. And there were many press reports earlier about Nest developing some sort of security, home security hub. And is that something that's still under development or does this kind of round out that portfolio for you? Stacey, we're always thinking about many different categories inside Nest. We're always evaluating on various products and it's a, it's a factory. We want to do what is right by customers and you know, today I can talk about Nest Cam and I can tell you that. Awesome. All right. Final question for you. I love works with Nest. I'd love to understand how you guys see this particular product kind of working with Nest in you guys have so many partners. So are there any things you're thinking about here that this would work with? Yeah. So all the works with Nest integration that Nest Cam Indoor has, the current Nest Cam has, they all will work with this new Nest Cam Outdoor. So for example, we with Nest Protect, you know, if there is a security event, Nest Cam automatically turns on and record the, records the footage regardless of whether you have a Nest Ever subscription or not. So we will do the same thing here as well. In a similar fashion, you know, Philips Hue, Nest Cam works with Philips Hue. So if there is an activity detected, you can set your Philips Hue light bulb to turn on automatically. And these are all the connect, uh, interact, uh, integrations that we already have, and they will continue to work with Nest Cam Outdoor as well. Awesome. All right, Mahul, thanks so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for this week's show. Please join us next week on the Internet of Things podcast. And thanks for listening. 